Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Sin Essential Podcast. My name is John Gilpatrick. Joining me is Sarah Gore. Sarah, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. What's going Not on? Not a lot to add today. Not a lot to add? Well, I hope we're just getting started, so I hope you have something to talk well, about. Well, not about personal anything. It's okay, fair boring enough. Stuff. We're going to talk about a cool movie, about a beautiful, rosy future, and I can't wait to just dive in. It's going to be, uh, yes, full of laughs and hope and mm-hmm. uh, all sorts of optimism, so I'm excited about that as well. Uh, also joining us, Alex Moore. Alex, how are you? Fantastic. Uh, again, excited to talk about this optimistic vision for the future. So Yeah, yeah, uh, which we may or may not be approaching. The film is, uh, for our episode this week, Children of Men, the uh, 2006, I think 2006, right? Yeah, 2006. It was like, like the last day in 2006, right? Uh, film by Alfonso Cuaron um, about uh, a world in which children were not being born and all sorts of other wonderful, delightful things were happening. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm excited. It's a film that uh, I really am curious to dive into. I hadn't visited, uh, I hadn't watched in a while, um, but it was fun to revisit. Um, before we jump into it, um, I thought I'd give uh, a shout-out and some ask very politely for you guys to uh, help us out. Um, first of all, our theme song, which you just heard, uh, from the Hemingbirds. Uh, the song is called Half a Second, off the album Half a Second, and thank you, as always, guys, for uh, sharing that with us. Um, I also want to say that you can follow us on Twitter, at The Sin Essential, um, and uh, check out all of our coverage on Children of Men and uh, other cool films at thesinessential.com. And finally, if you would like, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Just search for The Sin Essential. And uh, while you're there, leave us a review and tell us what an amazing job we're all doing. Uh, you can uh, you know, comment on my uh, watching or not watching of the films we're actually discussing, if you'd like. Uh, Sarah, is there uh, anything we need to discuss on that front? Yeah, it's time for our uh, fan favorite return segment. Has John seen Beauty and the Beast? John, have you seen it? Do we want to make predictions? No, just answer. Have you seen it? I have not. (laughs) And that concludes our fan favorite. (laughs) We'll check back again next time. (laughs) Oh, my. Uh, One of these days, I promise. But uh, today is not that day, unfortunately. It's been Children of Men kind of week. Gotta Um, keep it. Fans hungry. They are, indeed. And one of these days I'm going to, uh, I think, surprise everybody. But uh, until then, we will be back with more Has John Watched Beauty and the Beast next time. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Alex, <laughs> uh, you are uh, uh, you wrote our opening take on Children of Men. Do you want to give uh, the listeners uh, just a really quick plot description in case they haven't seen it in a while? Wait. And then, yeah. First question. Have you seen the movie? Have you seen the movie? Oh, is that? Yes. <laughs> I guess I probably should be asking. Just double checking that we've all seen the movie. Yes, I have. Nailed it. Okay. I'd like to put it on the record that I have as well. Okay. Yeah. Great job, team. Have you? I just watched it literally four seconds ago. <laughs> <laughs> Was that the first time you saw it? No. Okay. Okay. Uh, Aaron. Aaron, uh, our uh, our fearless leader is not on the podcast, I think, for the first time, and uh, perhaps 
we need to have a has Aaron seen children of men segment next time, but uh, we'll discuss that offline. Uh, Alex, you um, can tell us a little bit about the film and your relationship to it. Sure. So this is a, a basically like a dystopian sci-fi film. It takes place in 2027, um, I think about 20 years, 18 years or something after people have stopped having children. Um, it takes place in sort of a dystopian Britain where, you know, Britain is an island of stability in this chaotic world. And my God, my neighbor, I oh my just God. can't. What? <laughs> I, I don't understand. Like, seriously, I thought they stopped. I'm sorry. Um, anyway. <laughs> Um, so, so basically you have a disgruntled, um, bureaucrat who's like lost all hope. The whole world's lost all hope. And he gets a ray of hope because he finds like the only pregnant woman in the world. And he has to escort her to what something called the human project, which is some kind of fertility research facility out in the Azores. So he's just going to try to get them to get to the ship, but society's falling apart and things like this. So that's what's happening in this movie. I love this movie guys. It's like, one of my favorites. I'm a huge sci-fi nerd, um, and b- both books and movies. And in terms of movies, like this is easily in my top five, and certainly the the best one that's been made in the 21st century in terms of just sci-fi. Um, I, you know, I remember watching this first time. I was blown away. Um, and there's so many reasons why I just fell in love with this movie. One is one is sort of the the whole atmosphere that it. Oh my god, I'm so sorry guys. This is awful. Um, it's like they're doing it right on top of this room too. It's like they're hammering nails into the floor. Um, so they're making sure it's really sturdy. The fishes are coming to get you. I, I think maybe like the whole ceiling is just gonna fall in on me and then a bunch of troops are gonna come and like take oh my some gosh. baby away somewhere around here. Um, anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, the world building in this is incredible. I mean, Alfonso Cuaron and his team just do the most amazing job of creating this world. And then second, it's just, it's it's my favorite type of sci-fi, you know? It's, it's deep. Like, it says interesting things about people. Like, there's a tendency for sci-fi to be, like, the big budget, mindless action movie. And this is very much not that even has a lot of you know, action and exciting elements. It's really about people and the world and ideas. Um, and, you know, this time watching it coming back, of course, uh, about 10 years after it was made, you also just see a lot of this stuff about immigration and things coming up that makes it really relevant for today. Yeah. Um, and also, I just, um, I don't know. I, I just, I can't say enough nice things about this movie. I totally love it. Um, and also seeing um, Michael Caine is like a pot-smoking hippie. It's always fun. So, um, yeah, uh, so, Sarah, what did you think about this movie? So, I kind of delayed watching it again. Because I was getting very convinced that I didn't really need to rewatch it before the podcast. Because I've seen it a few times. And I thought it was one of those movies where I was like, oh, yeah, like, I remember it being pretty good. But, you know, it was, it was pretty, I'm sure it was, I'm sure it's still good. But, like, I was, I really just didn't. Like, long story short, so I rewatched it. I started watching it, and within 15 minutes, I was like, oh, fuck, this movie is so good. <laughs> like, I, I can't believe it took you 15 minutes to realize. Well, like, I just completely <laughs> underestimated how good I remembered it being because it's, you know, it was 2006, you know, I'm barely in college at that point. Yeah. Um, don't trust my taste very much. <laughs> I'm like, I've rewatched it since, but. 
I just couldn't remember whether it was something that I thought, you know, succeeded in what it was trying to do or whether it was something that was really elevating an entire genre. And it's definitely the second one. Yeah. Like, I actually totally agree uh, with everything you guys just said. Uh, it's amazing. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to just join the choir and uh, say that it's uh, definitely one of my probably five, at, at least ten, probably five favorite movies of like this millennia. Uh, <laughs> and I just feel like it, you know, like you said, it, it totally elevates sci-fi into sort of like a uh, a plane that I never, I mean, the only other film, sci-fi film I, I'd compare this to is, uh, is 2001, which is my favorite film of all time. So um, I think really highly of it. Uh, I think that... That is some really high praise. Yeah, in terms of sci-fi, like, I don't know what else I'd put up on that level uh, besides those two films, like, that are just, I feel like, like, approaching perfect, that I wouldn't change a thing about. Um, and, yeah, I watched it at the same time, you know, I think uh, my freshman year of college is when it came out, and I remember exactly when I saw it and where I saw it, and so much about that experience, because it was, I felt like such a informative kind of movie-going uh, moment for me and um and yeah it, it, it sort of made me notice uh alfonso cuaron who's i mean we've only seen one other film from him since but uh i've seen a lot of his other stuff that that proceed uh that came out before this and uh he's a obviously exceptionally talented director and um i think there's just like like it feels like a really bleak movie because of the subject matter and the setting and the world building that you described, Alex, but also, like, it's punctuated with some really tender moments, some uplifting moments, some hopeful moments that um, we're all sort of joking about um, at the outset, but I think that the, the way this film proceeds is, is uh, you know, it follows, like, I guess, a kind of a similar... Um, path as, uh, as like, Gravity does, Quaron's next film, um, which is, you know, it's just this horrible scenario that, uh, that people end up persevering against sometimes their, uh, better instincts, but, um, but yeah, I, uh, I haven't seen it in a while, I was excited to rewatch it for this, um, wasn't sure exactly how it was gonna hold up, um, I mean, I, I knew it would hold up really well, because I just think so highly of it, but, it's just uh, something that I hadn't seen in such a long time, and uh, a lot of those feelings came back that I remember from, you know, 10 years or so ago. Um, so you talked a little bit, Alex, about, like, the real-life uh, parallels, I guess. Um, do you want to expand upon those a bit? <laughs> Sure. I mean, you know, one of the major themes in uh, Children of Men is the fact that they're, you know, the world around uh, the UK has kind of been destroyed and there are just uh, immigrant, uh, well, they were called, I guess, the refugees streaming into UK. And of right. course, uh, people in the UK are very unhappy about this. Not all of them, but there seem to be a lot. And you see a lot of these scenes where, you know, separate from the plot itself, the camera will kind of turn away to either look at the refugees themselves You'll see often see like a shot of a woman in a cave, you know, uh, behind a fence or something. Or you'll see anti-immigration protests going on. Um, and it, it just seems so strangely reminiscent of scenes we've seen lately. It's, it's really striking considering that this is not so much what was going on 10 years ago, at least, uh, you know, 
in the UK and, and the US and things like that. And and now to some level, at least, it seems to have come to pass. So it, it was kind of um, disturbing seeing it like that. Um, but I, I also thought, you know, when I thought about it, I was like, why why is this world like this, this world of children of men like this? And it really, to me, pointed to something a little deeper that I was writing about um, in my opening, which is that, you know, this movie really is an exploration of what hope is to people. Um, and it seems like when you lose hope, uh, in, in this case, in the world, you know, you really seem to close the outer world, close out the world around you, right? You're, you're going to be less generous and less giving and less willing to explore. And so these anti-immigration sentiments in Children of Men are really kind of a good extension of, of that hopelessness. And, you know, when you think about it through that lens, it, it that kind of works pretty well for our world, too, you know, where people are feeling kind of... Um, uh, marginalized and and things, and they they respond by you know again shutting out the rest of the world. So I I thought there were some really neat parallels, and I like the way that this movie made me think about them. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, I also sort of thought about how it feels like almost as if this film is a bit naive because it posits that um, it's such a, a, a traumatic. Uh, situation as like we've all gone infertile would trigger this chaos um, but in the real world like we just triggered it for no apparent reason <laughs> because Fox News told us to um, but uh, so I you know I found that sort of interesting um, and uh, Sarah, Sarah like besides uh, I mean and feel free to comment on, on sort of what Alex is saying but did you find any other parallels to sort of the situation happening in the world right now um, yeah so I was uh, after I watched it I was kind of poking around to see what people have been saying about it and there's actually like a handful of pieces all talking about um, how prescient the movie is in a pretty unfortunate way. Like the BBC article is why children of men has never been as shocking as it is now. The Tribeca article is titled, are we living in the dawning of Alfonso Cuaron's children of men, which shows everybody is really jazzed about the future right now. We're all pumped looking forward to it. Um, So the BBC article is actually talking about a mass migration being a major issue even within 2006, but just not on the level that we're seeing it at now, not in this, like, like, especially what, like a day ago, two days ago with the chemical bombing in Syria, there's all these just photos of children and families dying in the street with chemical burns and then the famous photo from a year or so ago of the little boy washed up on the shore. And you're just like, oh, my God. Like, it literally looks like the scenes from this movie just look like things that are happening all over the place. Um, which, I, I, in my poking around, somebody called it the uh, anti-Blade Runner, where the whole point is that it's everything in it is supposed to look and feel really familiar. Um, as opposed to being like flying cars and robots and giant, you know, electronic displays. It's all like, yeah, there are a few more electronic signs. There's a few like high end electronics, you know, we, we can't recognize there. There's supposed to be something futuristic and maybe we don't know what it is. Yeah. But, but I'm still going else... to like a familiar coffee shop in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that that makes it more effective, especially when you're addressing something like this, because part of, I think, the problem, not problem necessarily, where you can kind of muddy things up is when you set it really far in the future, it sort of removes it from present day. It like gives you this like buffer, like maybe it still reflects what's happening, but you feel like, ah, yes, like all of this crazy things, they would all be happening at once instead of, you know, all of this looks pretty familiar to me, you know, yeah, on every level. Like it makes, it hits a little closer to home. It doesn't feel so far away. Yeah. yeah and you know, I think that's a great point. Like, um, when you think about the way that Quaron portray, uh, portrays refugees and refugee camps in this movie, I mean, you're right, you know, this has been something that has been going on for a long time, even though it's really come to a head lately in terms of mass migrations. And when you look at footage from refugee camps that have been around for a long, long time, you can really see that he looked at those and drew the parallels, right? And then just was like, what would happen if those came to England, you know, and now that's... Yeah you know, essentially happened, right? Not England, and then, like, like France. Or adding on top of that, like, what would happen if the refugees weren't just from Syria or right. Egypt or, you know, Pakistan or whatever? What if they were also from Italy and Poland and Germany right. and Russia and China <laughs> and everywhere? What if it was everywhere? Yeah, no, it's interesting. And I mean over history they were right like the, the syrian refugees don't have a monopoly on the history of all refugees and we just picture that though like that's like what we're programmed to think about right now but over the course of time every civilization has gone through that sort of uh those situations um and so all of those cultures you're describing were refugees at one point or another in some place um, and so I think that's kind of represented well too. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Alex, anything else uh, like on the real world parallels? Um, one of the things I found kind of interesting was that, and I don't know if this is necessarily parallel to the real world, but one of the things I like about the film is that all these sides have competing interests, um, and all these sides have and eventually show that, like, they're capable of doing really bad things. Um, you have the, uh, the fishes, which is, um, this group of, you know, sort of pro-refugee or refugee rights, uh, protesters slash, uh, you know, uh, well, I mean, they do some bad stuff, and they're willing to do that in order to advance their interests. And then you have, uh, like, the British government slash military, um, and you don't really get into sort of, like, what the breakdown is between the government and the military, but you can imagine there being quite a bit of overlap there, uh, and, and kind of the things that they're willing to do is sort of in the name of law and order, um, and then uh, the within the refugee camp, obviously there's there's good people who are who are trying to be helpful, but it's also a place where there's some bad things happening. Um, and uh, I just I found that sort of uh, interesting um, that maybe lends to the feeling of hopelessness in the film because you follow these you know basically two primary characters who are trying to get somewhere. And uh, there's almost no one around that they can fully, fully, fully trust with, like, their big secret. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. I, I do think that the movie really goes out of its way to flesh out the motivations of its characters and uh, and all the groups within. And one thing that really kind of sticks out to me about this movie, um, which seems to comport with my experience of the world, is that groups of people more than individuals can be really, really, really shitty to yeah. you know people. Yeah. Um, and I, I think you really see that. You see this sort of, you know, bureaucratic, you know, consequentialist mindset in a lot of people, right? Especially when a group like the Fishes, which is very, very high-minded, uh, and yet when it comes down to it, they're willing to throw out a lot of values and things to satisfy their own needs because they think it's for the greater good. And you see a, a lot of that kind of thinking going on in this movie, I think. Or, you know, individuals trying to, um, on the other end, you have individuals doing whatever it takes to survive. So, I don't know. I guess in general, though, I did find that that interesting. You do see like this portrayal of groups as generally being uh, pretty negative. uh, And and maybe that's what happens because everybody's hopeless. So you have this these groups of hopeless people that, you know, will do terrible things in the name of a group. Right. Yeah. Um, You had mentioned that you're just like a big fan of sci fi and in uh, films and in books. Like, have you read the book that Children of Men's based on? No, actually, that's that's like right on my reading list. I'm on this sort of um, bender of po- post-apocalyptic books right now, um, and so I'm uh, I'm definitely interested in, the, in this one after seeing the movie. I didn't even realize it was based on a, mo- a novel until I started uh, watching the movie and started looking into it a bit. So I'm very yeah. very excited about it. Um, yeah, cool. Um, I, I'd be curious to see what that's like because uh, Children of Men, I. I when I think of that film, one of the first things that comes to mind is kind of the visual style and the direction, um, and that plays out sort of most explicitly, I think, in some of the film's long takes, which is something that I wrote about this week. Um, and I feel like it's the first movie I saw where, like, I noticed the camera work, and now I watch mm-hmm. movies and I say, like, oh, that camera work is really noticeable, like, it bothers me because I feel like it's sort of, like, showing off or calling attention to itself, and uh, I'm not going to single out any other uh, maybe two-time Oscar-winning Mexican directors, Um, but, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But uh, Children of Men, like, that was one of the things I was curious about, was, like, did that stuff still work for me? And I feel like it totally does, and and the most notable... um, sequence uh i think most people would agree is kind of in the uh refugee camp that they are trying to well they had just snuck into and while they're trying to sneak out of it there is uh like basically a full-scale war that breaks out and uh they're kind of running through from skirmish to skirmish and the camera is following on foot and there's just shit blowing up everywhere and at one point there's like this like splatter of I don't know what, mud or blood or something on the camera lens, which is um, kind of wild. And uh, it all kind of builds up to this moment where uh, they go inside a building. Uh, Theo, the main character, Clive Owen, and uh, rescues um, Key, who is the pregnant woman, and, uh, and her baby, spoiler alert. Uh, and uh, then they walk out, and it's just this like transcendent sort of pause in conflict that you couldn't even imagine in real life but it totally works in the context of the film and it's i guess uh, i don't remember exactly how long it is but probably 
between two and three minutes, if I had to guess. And uh, it's such a cool, cool scene and a cool take. And when I uh, first started writing about films, I was in college, and I just had, like, a little blogspot site. And um, one of the things I did was, it was the end of the first, you know, of the decade. It was, like, 2009. And uh, I wrote, like, uh, my favorite scenes of the decade. And I wrote, like, you know, uh, a little bit about each one. And my number one was this sequence from Children of Men. And I'd be curious to go back and read that. But uh, it definitely still holds up. It's it's an amazing scene. Um, Sarah, any uh, thoughts on that scene or kind of other standout scenes in Children of Men? Um, I actually love the opening sequence. Yeah. yeah. Um, Which is another long but, take that you don't sort of realize. But go, yeah. Go yeah. Ahead. Like it really, it just subtly starts pulling you in. You have the opening credits, and you just hear um, the news on in the background. It's giving, it's doing all of the legwork for you. It's giving you all of your uh, background information on what this world is, what's happening, without being too in your face. It's not like uh, they 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 staged around the death of the the youngest. The youngest person in the world has just died in a tragic accident. So everybody's Do you remember like, his name? Uh, Baby Diego. Yeah, right? yes, Baby Diego. <laughs> Baby Diego. Um, and everybody's in rapture, but then you have Clive Owen as Theo just like walk, push his way past this crowd of people that are all like eyes locked on the TV. And he just pushes his way through to order his coffee you know, get his cup and leave. And then only like, as you see him like walking out into the street where there's all this like intense, like amount of information overload almost from uh, the, the background where you like have this different vision of like what London is like, what the world is like. Um, and as he's adding whiskey to his coffee, like great sign that he's a really, in a really healthy place. <laughs> this is our hero. Uh, <laughs> the right. The I think. Shop that he was just in explodes. Yeah. Um, which I remembered happening. Like I saw the camera moving and I was like, Oh yeah, this is when this happened. And then it explodes. And I still was just like, ah! <laughs> it yeah. still startled me quite a bit. Um, but I just love that whole sequence. I think it's, it's a great introduction. It's a great way to give you a lot of information without relying on a lot of like crappy tropes mm-hmm. and things that a lot of other Absolutely. like sci-fi or even fantasy or even just like lazy present day movies like that can't be bothered to set up a scene uh just like doing it all so seamlessly i was just so impressed it was it was awesome yeah that's cool um alex any uh favorite scenes of yours well so i mean in addition to the ones you guys said I, you know i like the car long take scene which is another sort of showpiece central scene in the movie where they're yeah. they're riding in the car in the woods and then all these guys come out of the woods and they have to you know back up and they're being chased and shot at and things um, I just I found that scene really great because you're you're in the car with them the whole time you have this sense that you're trapped and I I kind of feel like that long take really accentuates that just because you're you're constantly looking at the inside of this car and looking out at all this horrible stuff happening um, in the latter half and in the first half it's you're kind of cozy in the car right well and so, they're doing this thing with this like ping pong ball which uh, yeah I yeah right yeah they're throwing <laughs> that uh, thing back and forth. yeah exactly so I yeah I thought that was a nice scene and it it kind of moves really well from uh, something kind of nice going on in the world to something really terrifying. Um, 
John, why did you think that these long takes were uh, effective rather than kind of obnoxious? Um, I feel like there's a a feeling that I got that was kind of like you described, and, and another yeah, another favorite of mine is when they're in the car that like you're there with them, and like the 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 angles are just very familiar because it's them running through this war zone and the camera is running with them and shaking and getting stuff on it or in the car mm-hmm. you know it turns like you would turn your head to look at what the person sitting behind you is saying or doing um and you have a lot of other sort of um uh long takes in other films that they'll be on a dolly from overhead and swooping up and down or in and out and and i just it's not realistic it's like it's not the way that uh, we perceive things as they're happening in real life, and so that's why I feel like it's sort of calling attention mm. to itself. Um, but I don't think that that's the case with any of these here, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, I I certainly didn't feel that they're uh, obnoxious, and I'm I'm actually pretty sensitive to uh, obnoxious camera work. I feel so. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I was kind of surprised that I I found it fine this time around because i i know just like you the first time i saw it i was just like wow that's incredible and i i was just like you like a little worried that yeah i'd yeah. come back and see those scenes and be like oh this is so obnoxious like they, they're just trying too hard here to make like a like a circus show out of this but but no not at all the other thing that i sometimes have problems with um long takes and i i sort of made a joke about in your earlier um and i feel like when you rely too much on long takes you don't give your film the ability to breathe and that that's like what good editing does is it kind of gives things space when they need space and doesn't, you know, and when it doesn't, it doesn't. And children of men has a lot of really good scenes that don't have anything to do with long takes. Um, there's the scene at when they're at the playground, they're waiting to be picked up. Um, and, uh, Theo is having a conversation with Miriam who is, uh, the midwife who's kind of taking care of Key, and uh, they're talking about like as a midwife, like what was it like to go through the end of giving birth? And you know, she explains kind of like we had lots of calls, and then we just got fewer calls, and there were fewer calls and fewer calls, and then there was nothing to do. Um, and they talk about you know how uh, there's no use for playgrounds anymore and, and, and just stuff like that. And I feel like that's really, uh, wonderful stuff. I think that, um, you know, we talked about, uh, Michael Caine and, uh, he's a just delightful character and he plays Jasper, who's this, uh, this old hippie who, uh, is a friend of Theo's and, um, he sells loves fart pot. jokes. He loves what? Loves fart jokes. He does oh my pull my God. finger. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and they have some i mean some really funny uh moments and also some really sweet and uh just moving uh moments um at his sort of compound um and so i think that the film does a good job at balancing this like visceral uh feeling of being there in this dystopia with uh, taking a moment to kind of uh, weigh the consequences of where they are and what's happening around them. Um, so, I mean, uh, talked about Michael Caine. Any other, uh, like, fun performances or other elements of this film that you really enjoy, uh, Sarah? I mean, it's definitely one of 
Clive Owen's best performances. Mm-hmm. Who I still, when I see this movie, I just sort of pause and I'm like, "What happened to you? Where'd you go?" <laughs> he had like a real moment in the early 2000s where he was just sort of all like everywhere, and then also just kept being in like really well regarded, well respected movies and then i was just like i have not seen anything from him in forever and i was just like looking him up and i'm like i've never even heard of some of the stuff he's been doing <laughs> uh so i'm just like where'd you go bud i think what happened <laughs> what are you was up to? they cast daniel craig as james bond <laughs> oh i think he would have been great yeah but it wasn't it wasn't right it no, I agree. This is definitely my favorite Clive Owen moment in um, in his uh, career. Uh, have you guys uh, seen uh, the woman who plays Key in anything else? No, apparently. No, I actually looked her up. And, show. Yeah, I don't think she's really done that 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 much since. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. I couldn't think of anything either. Um, so, uh, yeah, any other like big uh, things that um, that we should talk about? Uh, just going back to Clive Owen, I you know I I thought he was perfect for this part, um, partially because like honestly he has like a really depressing face, like I he he always looks kind of sad, like it works really well, you know. I mean he's acting, but you know even when he's happy he looks kind of like it's happy but but sad, you know. So <laughs> it works really well for this this kind of setting, like he's you know kind of low energy looking, and uh, I don't know, I I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, Sarah? Yeah, I just wanted to talk about a costuming thing that I noticed as I was rewatching it that I really enjoyed, which is, like, kind of watching throughout the movie the dismantling of Theo's suit, like, as (laughs) it goes on. Like, he keeps losing pieces of, um, you know, this business suit, this thing that's sort of a symbol, both of his, like, sort of relative ability to... Uh, shelter himself from the like horrors that are occurring in the world and also a sign of like the bureaucracy that he works for um and then as like the movie goes on it's like you know he gets blood on his shirt so he's got to swap with somebody he loses his shoes then he's wearing um some extra clothes of jaspers and then when he puts on the sweater at Jasper's, it's, uh, you know, so this movie is 2006, and it's the London 2012 Olympics sweater, which at that point was six years in the future, but at this point was already the past. <laughs> uh, but what I liked about it is, like, you know, it's a little subtle sort of nod, you know, it, Olympics is the symbol of, you know, cultural sort of unity or, like, unity between countries, whatever, even if it's just metaphorically. Um, but it's also got the, the torch. It has the flame on it. And then all I could keep thinking about was the road and carrying the fire. Mm. Like the motif throughout that, um, whole book and the movie is this concept that the father and son in this post apocalyptic world is that the child is carrying the fire. Like that it's this weird symbol of humanity or just like light in like a dark world and so that I just couldn't stop thinking about like Clive Owen having this sweater with like a with a torch on it so he's like literally carrying the fire as he tries to shepherd this woman to safety and 
I loved it. And that's all I have to say about it. (laughs) Yeah, that's really funny. Um, I never noticed any of that. But next time I watch it, I'll definitely make a point to catch, uh, try to catch that. Uh, One of the things I wanted to just mention briefly was another performance that is just bananas. And that's Peter Mullen um, as uh, Sid, uh, who's a fascist pig. Uh, and he's the, uh, self-professed. Yeah. Yeah. And happily so. Um, what is he exactly? I mean, he's uh, some sort of law enforcement character, right? I think he's a guard at the refugee camp, basically. Okay. And he's hired to bring, um, our main characters into the refugee camp so that they can escape to the boat, uh, which is the human project. Um, and, uh, he's just kind of off the wall. I mean, the first thing we see of him, he's like pretending that he doesn't know like what Theo's up to, and be, you know, g- go so far as to like practically beat him uh, with his nightstick uh, before he kind of uh, breaks and, and starts laughing hysterically, and, and everyone's just sort of appalled. But um, he's, I think, it's just a, a really dynamic uh, character in, in the mi- middle of this film. Before we close, any thoughts about the ending? Um, it's something I was kind of thought that like it happens really abruptly, uh, and I don't necessarily. Uh, I, I I still kind of agree with that, but it's not maybe not a bad thing. Alex, like, where do you sit on the ending of the film? Uh, I think it's great because it kind of goes with the theme of hope. You know, like it to me that ending it remains somewhat ambiguous, right? Like the boat does yeah, show sure. up, but you don't know who these people really are, what they are. And so you're still left yeah, it could be hoping, a... right? Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, so I thought it was a good fit for the, for the movie. I mean, it is, it is really abrupt, I guess. Um, but I, it's way better, for example, that they don't reveal what happens on the boat and they don't even really reveal actually whether, uh, Clive Owen's character, Theo is dead. Even, I don't think. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, it's clear it's passed out, but... Um, Sarah, any thoughts? Um, yeah, I agree with uh, Alex. I think it works because uh, it's trying to ride a fine line um, between, like, total total pessimism and optimism, where it's trying to land in something that feels realistic, where there is a semblance of hope, but all of that hope depends on what people do. And we don't get to see what they do. We don't get to see what they choose to do. So it's like the ship is in sight. She's not going to die on that boat alone in the sea. Like they're not leaving it there where we don't even know if she even Mm -hmm. makes it to shore or anything. But we also, we don't know what the people, like you said, we don't know what the people on the boat are like. We don't know because every time we've seen a group of people (laughs) so far, they've been really willing to do some pretty heinous things. So... I think it's just sort of a, it's like optimistic with the peppering of like, like a warning almost like cautious, cautious optimism. Sure. What we, I mean, what we know Um, about the human project is very little uh, that they would be on this boat, that they would signal in such a way. Um, But throughout the film, people kind of remark, it was like, that's really your plan is to go like find this random boat in the middle of the sea. Um, and so, yeah, like you said, we don't know what happens afterwards and kind of, 
showing your hand one way or another might lend a false note to everything that happened earlier. So I agree that it definitely works. Um, I guess my only complaint is that the film is only uh, like a hundred minutes long. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I, I, I was okay with the length. Um, j- just a fun side note, but um, in a couple weeks, I'm actually going to the Azores where the human project is supposed to be based um, on vacation. Okay. So, yeah, I'm, I'll be on the lookout for them. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, send us a postcard from I the see human them, project. <laughs> yeah, if I see them, I'll make sure they're legit. So next episode, uh, Alex will be reporting live from the field. And John will still have project. not seen yeah. Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> live on this podcast. He'll be 100% live on the podcast. That sounds good. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, any closing uh, notes on Children of Men, Sarah? Nah. You're good. that's cool that's cool alex uh nope just if you haven't seen this movie watch it that's all i can say it's it's and even if you don't like science fiction like you know that's no excuse to not see this particular one yeah i think it like we said it elevates the genre um to a point where i feel like it almost transcends the genre and that there's people I know who wouldn't watch a sci-fi film for anything, but I would still recommend this to them because I think it's um, it's just too special to ignore. So, um, well said. Very enjoyable conversation. Uh, I think we are going to wrap things up there. And uh, as always, we thank you for listening. Go over to com and check out all the rest of our writings on Children of Men and uh, lots of other cool stuff coming up through uh i guess may we're almost in may um so uh alex and sarah thank you for joining and uh, we'll talk to you guys again soon bye see you later